church is alive, that's for sure. All right, several, I guess, months ago, I preached a series about why a Baptist. And that took several messages to just really understand and appreciate uh, what that meant and, and why we would have a label called Baptist and, and, and what that really means. I've been praying about this for quite a while, and I want to preach on why the KJV, why the King James Version of the Bible, why do we use that Bible? And my overwhelming thought is, is to keep this at a very simple level. I mean, we could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about different things about that, but I wanted to really keep it simple. My initial thoughts is I would do it in one sermon. <sighs> Can't do it. It's going to be at least two. <laughs> because there are some things we, you just got to set the stage for so, so you understand. I, I have to, uh, I feel like the Lord wants me to, uh, for you to see the importance, for, that, for your heart to be drawn to that, to want to know that. So part one, I'm going to entitle, It is Written. It is Written. Um, I have a ton of verses. If you can follow, that's fine. I may stop and have you turn. I may not. Um, <laughs> of all things, we ought to have a lot of verses uh, to talk about in this type of a message. Exodus 17, 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, <clears throat> write this for, for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears, ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Deuteronomy 17, 18, And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. Isaiah 30, verse 8. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. Jeremiah 30, verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. Jeremiah 36, 2. Take thee a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. <clears throat> and then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, saying, I am Alpha <clears throat> and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And let me reformat here for a second my notes. And it says, 
I'll read again, Revelation 1.11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. When you hear the word Byzantine, I'm just going to throw this out, that area, there's your, your general area in there where uh, the east was meeting the west and a lot was going on. Just tuck that in your back pocket. God commanded his words to be written down in books. Of all things. Isaiah stated the reason in chapter 30, verse 8. I like how this is written. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book. Why? Because that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. What God wants us to know, He has put into words written down in books. The Bible, which is the collection of many books, is the very words of, mankind, of God to mankind forever and ever. In the early history of mankind, God would commun communicate verbally to mankind, but we will see that God would begin to instruct Moses to write down what God did in the past, what He is doing in the present, and what He will do in the future by writing them down. He would entrust the task of keeping these words to a chosen people, the Jews. Within the Jewish realm, He called out priests and scribes for the amazing, precise preservation of every word of God. Acts 7, verse 37 says, This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, him shall ye hear. Like unto me, like you hear from me, you shall hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai. And with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. I like that word, lively oracles. Because you're going to find that book is alive when the Holy Spirit is involved in it. Romans 3.1, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of the circumcision? Much every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. What are men of God to speak today? 1 Peter 4.11 tells us, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as to the ability which God giveth him. I see none of me yet in this thing. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's what we are to speak. Now I want to take a peek at the earliest commandment, commands of God to Moses, the writing of the Ten Commandments. Turn to Exodus chapter 31. I'm just going to use a couple verses here to make uh, the point. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 31, and then we'll go to Exodus 34. 
Um, so be ready for that. Exodus 31, beginning in verse 18, says, And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written, what does it say? With the finger of God. God's finger wrote those words. Now Moses would break these stones when he turned Return from the mountain and seeing the great sin that the people had committed and, and they had this molten calf. And in anger, he crushed those two tablets of stone. Now turn to Exodus 34. <clears throat> Just a couple chapters later, Exodus 34, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Now verse 34 says that God will write upon the two tables. But I want you to listen to what happens. Look at verse 27 in chapter 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee, and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread, nor drink water, nor drink water forty days. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shown while he talked with him. This was a supernatural thing. But we see here we see God using Moses to write the word of God. Now, God, didn't he say before, I will write it? Since God cannot lie, then it only stands the reason that God can and has used man's fingers to write his word. They are not man's words, but God's inspired word written by men of God. Important to note that God uses men. He did not use one unsaved person to write his words. I'm setting some stages here so that you hopefully you, you understand this because it's deep in the heart. He didn't use unsaved people. He used his people, men of God. It was just not any saved person either. They were holy, set-apart men, and furthermore, their writing was inspired by the Holy Ghost of God. It was supernatural. Second Peter 1.20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. As we further study the development of the completed Word of God into the English language, it would not be logical or trustworthy if the work was done, if it was not done by holy, gifted men of God. These men should be set apart to God, gifted by God, men who have a godly fear of such work. Certainly a group of men who would not receive personal profit other than their basic needs provided. Certainly there would be no copyright claims over the Word of God. 
certainly that should not happen. I, as a Christian, I, how could I take credit upon doing anything of writing God's word? Or, 2 Timothy 3.15, let us know, lets us know the power of the written word of God. 2 Timothy 3.15, and that from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Through faith which is in Christ Jesus, all scripture, all scripture, is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There is power in the words, the written words of God. What is written in the Word of God is done by inspiration. It's God's Word, again, breathed into holy men of God who wrote it down for man to know how to be saved and how to live holy, separated lives. Jesus, in His final prayers to His disciples and to us that will believe on Him later, said this, John 17, 17, Sanctify them, how? Through Thy truth, Thy Word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us, folks. Jesus prayed for us. His prayers do not fail. God not only has the ability to establish the truth through written word, he is also able to keep it. And some of this ought to be so logical. If, if God can produce his words through men and speak it through and have it written down, is that a God who cannot keep it and preserve it? I mean, we shouldn't even have to think about that if your God is the same God I have. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away. This is Jesus speaking. But my word shall not pass away. God was not haphazard in what he wrote. He did not write generalities up for interpretation of man. He gave us specific words. I'm going to give you some verses here. Psalms 12, 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Matthew 5.18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Revelation 22.18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy. God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Not only was he specific in his words, 
He did not entrust the message to the intellect of the flesh. Only by His Spirit can His Word come alive and produce truth in our hearts. He trusted the interpretation to the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot understand the Word of God. Luke 24, 32, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened the Scriptures? Open to us the scriptures. The two men going to Emmaus, that thing burning in their heart, the Holy Spirit signifying things. Psalm 33, 21, For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. 1 John 4, 6, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Ephesians 1.13 In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Even the spirit of truth, John 14.17, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. When I preach, I ask that the Holy Spirit reveal the truth to you. I can't reveal truth. It's not in me. I preach. God uses preaching, and that's the only reason, because he said he does. I can't even understand that through the foolishness of preaching. And somehow God uses that, but he uses the Holy Spirit that lives in you so that you will know truth through his word. So we see time and time again when God chooses the form of written word as his absolute truth and it becomes the standard that everything is measured against thereafter. And it does not change for God and God cannot make a mistake. What is written is written. There's no mistake in it. He didn't say, oh, I forgot about that. I have to change that. Even the intellectual man understands that for all things in the world to fit together perfectly, there must be one established standard. For instance, there are parts of measure sealed in vaults that establish the standard of the tiniest measurements. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, locked in vaults. We've got a machinery's handbook. It's about that thick and it states where these things are because there's a certain standard. To give you an example, we use the term, it's just a hair off. <laughs> just a hair off. Now hair is about two to five thousandths of an inch 
Mine's on the 2000 side. He's fine and wonderful. Uh, I think Andy's hair, man, he's got good, good stiff hair, man. His, his might be five thousandths of an inch, okay? You see, but you know, that's the diameter of a hair. That is small. I am working with some parts and fits at my work right now that require tolerances in the ten thousandths of an inch. We use terms so that is splitting hairs. <laughs> now women know about split ends of hairs, don't you? What I'm working with requires the splitting of hair 10 times. It needs to be within that close, within tolerances for what I'm trying to accomplish and I won't bore you with all that. If all the world answers to that measurement to that standard, then all the parts delivered from all the world will fit perfectly together. You don't have to decide where it's coming from. But what if every manufacturer in the world has their own standard of what an inch is? Nothing would fit together because everybody has their own standards. And that's the spiritual problem of today. And Satan is the promoter of that. Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God knoweth that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now Satan gave a bold-faced lie when he said that ye shall not surely die. But Satan was generally correct in his statement when he said, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as little g-o-d-s's, knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve ate, and they became God of their life. They became the God of their life. And so is every human born in this life. They are the boss of it. We've got lots of boss babies, you know? That's, hey, that's, that's the way they are. They're born bosses. And everyone sets their own standards in this world. Satan knows you are whipped when you are the boss of your life. And he knows that your flesh likes it that way. I want to give you a, a, a simplified definition of salvation. God, I admit I am the boss of my life, but I want you to become the boss of my life. That's very, maybe oversimplified. Brother Mike was teaching, he, he was splitting the hairs. Hey, that's good to do. Sometimes I'll tell you what. If, if we had to know everything about our salvation before we got saved, we'd never get saved. we just learn more and more how tremendous this is when we start to split it down and we see God, and it's a wonderful thing. I said to Joanna Malachi that after they got saved, that means for, that you are to submit to follow the Bible in all that you do. Now, they're learning on reading still. But that's basically it. That's the standard. That is what tells you 
what to do, when to do it, how to do it, why to do it. And it's the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I encourage you as families to help your children understand what that Holy Spirit is. But you better understand it yourself so you can teach it. And how does the Holy Spirit work? How does that work? Begin to teach them at a young age how that, that works. That's, that's it. It's not just the Word, but it's the Holy Spirit of God leading us into all truth. The Bible is the perfect standard. We could, this world could decide on some standards, okay? Maybe it's just the inch, okay? Um, maybe, well, let's take the cubit, okay? <laughs> some of the measurements in the Bible. Well, that's 18 inches. Uh, no, I think it's 18.2. I think 18.3, whatever. Let's just choose one, and we make that the standard, okay? And we're, we could make all sorts of standards, morality standards. This is what the world tries to do to try to bring it together and all sorts of things. The problem with it is, is they're not perfect. God has a perfect standard. I hear a lot of phrases from unsaved people and saved people. Probably phrases maybe I've said, I, I don't know. Like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to let anybody change me. I'm fine the way I am. Or that's just the way I am. Folks, God asked you to come as you are, but he loves you enough not to let you leave as you are. Either you trust him with full control of your life, or you do not. I'd be careful if you say those things. The statements that I just mentioned for the unsaved if they're totally honest, they are saying, God will not control my life. If they're honest. They, they won't say it that way because that don't sound real good. It don't sound real good to the rest of the crowd. But that's what they're saying. Let's deal with the truth. God's not going to tell me what to do. The unsaved. They're not going to let God have control. For the saved, those statements are rebellious statements to discard the thought of needed change in my life. That's what all the Christian life is about, is God constantly changing us. Now, Christians counter that. It's not God they are resisting. It's people. Well, if you read your Bible, it tells you that God uses people as instruments to help you change. He set it all up. Read your Bible. Home churches. Well, they sound good. It's really a rebel Christian answer for raising their families. I know it could be, in this world where things are such a mess, it could be tempting for people to have home churches. But that's not the way God made church. That's the whole thing. His standard shows something different. It's just a rebellious attitude. I've seen a lot of misery in families and home churches. And it would be a very humbling thing to come out of one and come into a church and to submit yourself to those around. One of the worst things is if this church ah, was all just family relations of family, which it mostly is, 
That bothers me. I, I want to see this church continue to grow beyond that. It's, it's not, though it's great, I think it's a good solid thing when families can all come together in a church. That's a good sign. If the standard is the Word of God, shouldn't we want the perfect source of it? Many, many times in the Bible, it says, it is written. It is written. Numerous times the Bible says it is written in the book of the law or in the book of Moses or the combination of thereof. These are references to absolute truth. The very words of God. The Bible says, also says it is written by the prophets. We see where God used prophets to establish what would happen in the future. God will put the very words in the mouths of the prophets and they were to be written as absolute truth, even though they hadn't happened yet. In Jesus' day, the Jewish priests were to know what was written. Matthew 2, 4. Interesting question. When the government came, searched the religious people here and said, when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Jesus, God himself, was bound to what was written. You know, today we have people who are rewriting things and overwriting things and writing new things. Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus in his weakest moments clung to the written word of God for security of absolute truth. Jesus, both God and man, when he was pressed upon, went to the written word of God. It is written. It is written. When tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he said, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give angels charge concerning thee. Now that sounds, oh, isn't that the devil? Well, he found a verse of scripture to throw out there at him, huh? In their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 10, then said Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus and the disciples always connected the gospel of Christ to the Old Testament, quoting it as it is written. The strength of the testimony of Christ was the connection and fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures and particularly the books of the prophets. There was a heavy undertaking for the disciples in the early church. But these people were the laity. They were not the priests and scribes who spent their life's work studying the Word of God. They had jobs to do. They worked. But now they were called to be apostles, to study 
and know what is written. Boy, that ought to humble you right there. I tell you, it's scary as a human. You know, I, didn't, I do have some background and some study of some things, and I have a lot of years under my belt. <laughs> but to be called to lead a church, there's a lot I don't know. Now, I grew up with a secular work career, and I can imagine the overwhelming task as leaders of the early church. Now, they did not have computers. They didn't have internet access, volumes of commentaries from wonderful gifted preachers, nor did they have Bible schools and seminaries. They did not have radio stations, TV, or other sources like I have today. Not saying that those are all good in order to know my Bible. As daunting as the task is to me, as much as that draws me to my knees in prayer, I can begin to imagine the human pressure and calling out to God when the apostles needed to take away any and all distraction, as important as those other things were, for the overwhelming and urgent need to pray and know what is written. Acts 6.1, in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Moses came to this same point of human <laughs> fallibility when his father-in-law taught him the art of delegation. Now I'm going to chase just a couple of rabbits here. Maybe just around a bush, I'm hoping. Esther 119 says, If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and Medes that be not altered, that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. Daniel 6.8, Now, O king, establish the decree and signing the, sign the writing, that it be not changed according to the law of Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Daniel 6.12, Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Now, men can have their ways, but they're fallible. The king did not want to have Daniel put into the lion's den. He was caught in his own words. That never, never happens to God. In Ezra, it kind of worked out for God's people. Verse Chapter 5, verse 17. Now therefore, if, if it seem good to the king, let there be a search made in the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so that a decree was made of Cyrus, the king, to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning this matter. Ezra 6.1, Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls. 
it is written, <laughs> where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Akmatha in the palace that is in the province of the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record thus written. In the first year of Cyrus king, Cyrus the king, the same Cyrus the king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded, the place where they offered sacrifice, and let the foundation thereof be strongly laid. <laughs> the height thereof three score cubits, and the breadth thereof three score cubits with three rows of great stones and a row of new timber, and let the expenses be given out of the king's house. <laughs> and also let the golden and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, and brought unto Babylon, be restored, and brought again unto the temple, which is at Jerusalem, every one to his place, and place them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatnai, Tatnai governor beyond the river, um, Sheth Arbonzai and your comp companions, the Apacharites, which are beyond the river, be far from thence. Let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree that ye do to the elders of these Jews for the building of the house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men that they be not hindered. And it goes on, so it kind of worked out real nice. God used that little bit to fund his, his work there. Often wonder about the Medes and Persians. You know, the laws that could not be altered. You know, they were trying to be God. Only God can write laws that cannot be altered. <laughs> Mankind writes laws that constantly have to be altered. Just go look at Congress. They're constantly changing things. However, man's decrees, they're quite flawed, aren't they? The judge, Jeph Jephthah, made a vow to God. Vow is similar to the king's decree in that it cannot be changed. Pay your vows says, unbeknown to Jephthah, his vow would come at the cost of his daughter's life. And we won't talk about how all that may have turned out, but it was a foolish thing. We better watch what we vow before God and keep those vows. The other one, and this is another rabbit, I thought of Pontius Pilate, of all things. Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews. And the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh into the city, and it was written in Hebrew and in Greek and in Latin. Plain. Everybody can read this. Then said the chief priest unto the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. What Pilate wrote, though very true, though it opposed the Jews who wanted Christ crucified, though he ceremonially washed his hands of the matter, none of that would vindicate him. What was sealed in his heart was that Jesus was the king of the Jews, not his king. You know, a saved man would have 
said, do whatever to me. But I'm going to write my last words on here. As soon as I can, as fast as I can, Jesus Christ, my King. He would give a half-hearted testimony. Pilate signed it. He sealed it permanently. Then he delivered him to be crucified. We have a phrase, signed, sealed, delivered. And God's words are signed, sealed, and delivered. What he has written is written. What he wrote is sealed. And what he has sealed will be opened and we will be judged from. Daniel prophesied in chapter 7, verse 10, A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. We see this in Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12. And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in to the lake of fire. God established His truth by His written word. These words are going to come up one day. Which words? You know, there's a lot of different words that even promote different thoughts and different versions of the Bible. They're going to judge us. If this message hasn't put the fear of God in you concerning the written word of God, if you think this is a bunch of mumbo-jumbo to you, any old Bible will do for you. But if this message has really put the fear of God in you concerning the written, written word of God, if you are spiritually moved by this message of God, it's God's message, it's God's Holy Spirit, you're going to be set up for why we use the King James Version of the Bible exclusively in our church. All right. With the pianist coming... Heads bowed and eyes closed. Till the fear of God is in you over, the, over what is written. You will not be so particular about all of what is written in this world concerning God. His Son, His Word, His Holy Spirit. That's all that matters. That's the standard.
for the Bible stands. Amen. Thank you for your attention. I hope that you've been filled with the Spirit, understanding the importance of the written Word of God. That we look to it as the standard. We look to the Holy Spirit for the understanding. We use what the Word of God says we should use in the church to get there and how we use people, people and respect all those things. Next week we're going to talk, we're going to get into some things about the King James Version of the Bible and some of the other versions and why as a church we use the King James Version. But I'm going to try to keep it simplified. So pray for me that I can do that. I want to keep it at a level that when you walk out of here, you don't say, oh, that was good. We have all this information. But you walk out with a few solid points that you can maintain all your life. And then you can continue to study and look, look into it for yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed word. It's everything to us. It's the standard which will make everything perfect. Because you are perfect. We don't understand how, that, how, how all this is. But you do, and there's things yet when we get to heaven which will be tremendous. What, what things we have to look forward to as saved, born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to make these words important, to study them, to know them, to, to get into the depths of them as we grow in the Lord. And let us be strong witnesses. Let us use the word of God to people. Help us to know the word of God. Help us to memorize it. Help us to study it. And then help us to be drawn so close to the Holy Spirit that we can be used to win souls to Christ. I know this is the will of God, for it is written. Now, Father, bless each family here, Lord. Um, watch over them. I know they have a lot of different ones. They have different things going on and some anxieties and and. Uh, just calm their hearts, Lord God. There's peace in your word. You've got it all figured out. Now, Father, I want to tell you we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are